It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Sunday, February 27th, 2022. I'm Jared Halpern. Congress plans a response to Russia's invasion of Ukraine. To say that President Biden has a green light to push back on Putin in whatever way, shape or form he needs to, um, you know, short of using military force. And President Biden puts the finishing touches on his first State of the Union address. There's probably going to be a couple of different dynamics. Obviously, the Ukraine situation changes everything. This is the Fox News Rundown from Washington. Congress returns to Washington this week with the world changed from when lawmakers left for a short recess earlier this month. A war has broken out in Europe with Russia's invasion of Ukraine that has had enormous impacts to the global economy and sanctions targeting Russia threatened to destabilize the economy as well. President Biden has named his Supreme Court nominee, Judge Ketanji Brown Jackson, setting up hearings likely pretty soon in the U.S. Senate. In Tuesday, the president travels to the Capitol to deliver his first ever State of the Union address. Does it all change the direction and agenda of Congress? We'll start with a chat I did Thursday afternoon with Michigan Congressman Peter Meyer. Meyer is a Republican on the House Foreign Affairs Committee, a panel responsible for writing sanctions legislation. He discussed the sanctions ordered so far by the president and European allies, what Congress can do next, and the challenges Russia's invasion means for U.S. foreign policy moving forward. We've obviously had a, a number of sanctions, including the, the NIET Act, um, that have been either introduced and there's additional kind of bipartisan sanction efforts being introduced. The reality is the Biden administration has the authority that they need uh, to enact these sanctions. And anything beyond that, um, I think there is a tremendous amount of bipartisan support for swift and crippling reactions. So I, one of the questions in our mind is we, as members of Congress, want to be doing everything we can to say that President Biden has a green light to push back on Putin in whatever way, shape or form he needs to, um, you know, short of using military force. And we stand ready to help. Um, but that ultimately, at the end of the day, uh, you know, this is it, it will be difficult to force an administration uh, to do things that they don't already want to do. All right, so uh, uh, that's sort of what I wanted to get at, because Congress can pass sanctions. Obviously, you don't have to pass sanctions and the president can can move along the path that he is. Is this more of an effort to show the Russian government, Vladimir Putin, that there is a, a unified front within the entirety of the U.S. government? In other words, the president is acting on sanctions from the executive branch, but there is a legislative branch here that also uh, wants to impose its own cost. Correct. You know, it, it, the focus is on you know, not only showing that, that unified front, um, but also that, you know, when you may see one or two voices here or there highlighted that maybe play into Putin's narrative, uh, that those, those are not reflective of where the U.S. government is and how the U.S. government is viewing this, whether it's in the legislative branch or in the executive branch. And, and again, we will continue to explore additional ways, you know, that 
either will bolster uh, the tools at President Biden's disposal or hopefully, you know, push him to do the things that we have been calling for. Because, frankly, there has been a lot more uh, demands for accountability from Putin and then really putting the screws on him and those in his regime who have benefited from this. There have been far more calls from that, um, frankly, from my Democratic colleagues uh, than there have been from within the administration itself. Were you surprised when you saw what happened? I guess it was late Wednesday night um, here in the U.S., obviously early in the morning on Thursday in Ukraine. Um, I know that the intelligence assessments were what they were in the United States. The State Department had been warning that this invasion is imminent for some time. Uh, Did any of this surprise you? I wish I could say it did. I mean, I think if if I'm thinking back to kind of those election night meters with the probability, victory probability, you know, and the, the little dial goes back and forth, um, you know, that, that dial had been ratcheting towards certainty, you know, over the past several months. And all of the off-ramps that, you know, we maybe hadn't expected Putin to take, but knew that he could take, you know, one by one, he just passed them by uh, until, you know, probably in the past 72 hours, it looked like you know there was no there's no alternative there was no other path that he was going to take but i think it's still a bit shocking even if you expect it to happen it's still shocking to see you know a, a foreign country the size of russia invade another foreign country the size of ukraine i mean this is um just the consequences of this, the things that will spiral out, will spiral out will, just the unintentioned, unintended, but also unanticipated uh, and frankly, right now, unknowable consequences. Or That's what keeps me up at night. That's what I think is the most staggering about all of this, is that this is not something that will be limited to a, a, a quick war, as I'm sure Putin is hoping for, that he'll march in there, be greeted like liberators, install a friendly regime, uh, and then bring the troops home. Um, you know, I think that that is a, a woeful misconception on Putin's behalf, but on the West's behalf, you know, just I don't think anyone has a sense of, of how or, or where or when this will end. Uh, and the only thing I'm confident of is that it will get worse and, and how um, it will get worse and what the consequences will be. I think that's unknowable right now, but uh, it's, it's hard to avoid just a deep, deep sinking feeling. I mean, you, you talk about this invasion, a country the size of Russia invading the country the size of Ukraine. This is happening in continental Europe. I, I was born in the early 1980s. I know I'm a few years older than you, Congressman. I don't really have much of a, a recollection of sort of a, a Cold War era. Right? I mean, I, most of my life here has been sort of post-Cold War. Is that what we are now in? I mean, how do you see the order, the, the, the post-World War II or even post-Soviet order in Europe now playing out? You know, I think, I think the Cold War is the, the kind of the immediate and the, the logical thing to reach for. But, but this, is, this is a hot war that's going on right now. Now, granted, it's not a hot war that a NATO country or that the United States are involved in. But it is a hot war that could easily spiral into that involvement. Um, and so I'm, I, I think both in the European context, I fear greater stability in that sense of contagion. Uh, I mean, remember why Ukraine is in this place that it is, right? It's because they gave up their nuclear weapons in 1994 because of the Budapest memorandum that was guaranteed by the United States, that was guaranteed by Russia, that was guaranteed by Great Britain. You know, we had powers saying, you know, we will protect your territorial 
sovereignty in exchange for you, you know, returning these 4,000 nuclear weapons so we could have one fewer nuclear superpower. What is the lesson that this sends? You know, it's that don't give up your nukes if you got them, and if you don't have them, go get them. Now, within a European context, I think that could be very devastating within a global context, right? Because this is the response on the West and the aggression by Putin won't just be viewed in a regional context. The question will also be if you're China looking at Taiwan, if you are uh, Iran looking at your greater influence within the Middle East, if you are any authoritarian regime, you know, you are taking very close notes on how the West and how the United States are reacting. And you're also, and if you're a, a, a country that feels they may be under threat, you know, that looks at themselves and sees in the position that Ukraine is in, they see some echoes of their own status. You know, they are also noting where those vulnerabilities are. Uh, and frankly, uh, the prospects of greater nuclear proliferation, uh, the prospects of uh, other authoritarian regimes testing the will and the strength of the West uh, to be defending democracies and defending independent countries. You know, those are all things that I think we had hoped were settled that just became questions all over again. And I don't know where that goes, but I, I that, am deeply worried that what we will find out. I know that the president talked about the, the, the strength of sanctions is sort of conditioned, right? It has to be uh, a unified sanctions and you have to have some sustainability here that sanctions are, are sort of constricting. They're not necessarily effective on day one is they may be as effective on, on day 29 or, or day 30, right? Do you see any daylight between uh, the NATO, the, the transatlantic alliance here as it relates to, to sort of being able to shoulder whatever economic burden may may happen now uh, with energy prices or any other uh, uh, financial uh, hit that, that some of these countries may have to take and withstand? Well, I think that's one of the reasons, at least what I've seen. I, I have no inside source on this, but what I've seen in open source reporting uh, is that Germany and Italy were concerned about the, their own economic impact from you know, swift delinking of Russia, um, and, and I think there's also been plenty of reports that you know Belgium is, is you know, wants to have a carve out on the sanctions for their diamonds. You know, Italy wants a carve out for luxury goods. You know that, that there's a sense of well, we want to be strong, but you know we don't want to really have any skin in the game here. And I think that's, to me, the troubling sign that if there is fraying, if there is fracturing um, on, on those margins, that all that that will do is prolong the conflict, make the conflict more severe. And by the time we get to the point where we do what we should have done long ago, it will be too little and too late and will always be in a reactive mode. And Putin will realize that he can exploit those differences you know, for his benefit. So you know, that is something we need to keep a very close eye on. And, you know, if if there's any doubt left in any European country's mind about what Vladimir Putin is capable of, um, you know, if it hasn't been erased in the past 24 hours, I sure as heck hope that what atrocities he commits next will firmly put any doubt out of our partner nation's minds. I'll finish on the domestic end because uh, on Tuesday, as you know, the president will deliver his first State of the Union address um, in the uh, House chamber. Um, does the events now of the last few days in, in Russia and Ukraine change, in your view, 
what that speech needs to be about, what you want to hear from President Biden. I think he needs to be focusing on being unyielding, unrelenting, and bringing the consequences down like a ton of bricks. I think that is where we need to be. I think the period of hope, the period of wishful thinking, uh, the period of half measures, that is done. We need to end any of that that rosy-tinted view, um, and we need to see these actions for the cold, hard reality they represent. Congressman, we'll leave it there. We'll continue to have these conversations. Uh, I know you were traveling. Safe travels as you make your way back to Washington. We'll catch up uh, next week, sir. Thank you. I appreciate the time. Hey, folks, it's your man, Keyshawn Johnson, here to talk about Angie, formerly known as Angie's List, your go-to home services, marketplace for getting all your jobs done well. Now, you might be wondering, what exactly is Angie? Well, let me tell you, it's the nation's largest home services marketplace, connecting over 150 million homeowners with skilled professionals to tackle any project, big or small. As a homeowner myself, I always have things I want to work on for my house, whether it's general home renovations or fun projects like putting in a pool. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it a breeze to research, compare, and hire pros, ensuring every job is done well. Whether you're fixing a leaky faucet or planning a full kitchen renovation, Angie's got your back. And get this, folks. Angie's pros aren't just any old contractors. They're your neighbors, often running small businesses right in your community. Plus, they've been rated and reviewed by others in your area. So you know you're getting quality service. So why stress over home projects when you can turn to Angie? From finding the best price to scheduling a pro at your convenience, Angie's got you covered every step of the way. So get started today at Angie.com. That's Angie.com or download the app today to get started on getting all your jobs done. That's Angie, your trusted ally in home services. The State of the Union is President Biden will finish that sentence Tuesday night, delivering his first State of the Union address. The speech has been in the works for weeks, but as we discussed last segment, rapidly evolving events could mean some last minute rewrites. Still, we expect the president to make the case for his legislative agenda, even with prospects of the Build Back Better bill stalled and uncertain to move ahead in the 50-50 divided Senate. The president will probably call on Congress to act on rising inflation and energy prices. My colleague covering Capitol Hill, Fox News congressional correspondent Chad Pergram, is a veteran of these addresses and shares his reporting on what legislation, if any, will follow the speech. Yeah, there's probably going to be a couple of different dynamics. Obviously, the Ukraine situation changes everything. I mean, it, 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 this has been talked about for weeks by the administration. Uh, some people kind of wondered if they were crying wolf and now it's happened. Uh, I don't know that they get any political credit for saying that they were right about this this time, mm-hmm. uh, considering that. They got a lot of criticism about being wrong about the exit from Afghanistan last summer, but that's that's kind of how things go. That said, uh, that will dominate some of the discussion, but the echoes of what's going on in Ukraine and how this impacts the United States when it comes to inflation, how it impacts the United States when it comes to gasoline prices and, and, and supply chain issues, all those types of issues, 
that's going to be front and center because the average person is not going to know much about if they're in the Donbass region or things like that, but they are going to know the price of goods and services. And if this is going to continue to fuel inflation, just as the Federal Reserve has hinted that they're going to raise interest rates according to their minutes from their meeting back in January come March, uh, those two things could be at odds. And so President Biden, you know, the, the bar here to try to look and, and impress upon people that he has a plan to, you know, help the economy, help inflation, get gas prices down, uh, it, the onus is going to be on him. The presidents, you know, as they do in the State of the Union, will lay out his his domestic agenda, his legislative plan. Um, obviously, a lot of that's already been done. Build back better. The, the social spending plan is stalled uh, indefinitely. Uh, other aspects of, of what he's wanted to try and get across the finish line legislatively have, have sputtered out as well. So who's the audience here? It's not as if he's going to deliver a speech on Tuesday, lay out his plan for Build Back Better and suddenly convince Joe Manchin and, and Kirsten Cinema that now's the time. No. And one of the questions that we've been kind of tracing around the Capitol here, uh, you know, since this Ukraine stuff started dealing with energy and energy prices is uh, whether or not the United States uh, should back away from some of those Green New Deal provisions, climate change policies uh, that, that uh, you know, that, that they're embroiled in here and, and focus more on actual energy produ production. You know, you know, what was interesting about 20 years ago after 9-11, there was one school of thought that the U.S. should pivot from its energy needs from the Middle East and Saudi Arabia and everything else and, and get its energy from Russia. Well, as you well know, Western Europe has long been very dependent on energy from uh, the former Soviet Union and Russia, and now everybody wants to go the other direction. Uh, this is a distinct conversation here that they have to have. But but you're right, Jared. You know who is the audience? You know there's going to be a response, not from Kim Reynolds, the governor of Iowa, who's going to deliver the official Republican response, but from Rashida Tlaib. Mm -hmm. A Democratic congresswoman from Michigan who's a member of the squad. And, you know, this is the first time, you know, well, it happened last year, too, but this doesn't happen very often. Jamal Bowman, who's also a, a kind of a squad member, a Democrat from, from New York, where you have a sitting member of the president's party responding to him. And that demonstrates the chasms right there within the party. She's probably going to call out, according to what I have been told, Joe Manchin and Kirsten Cinema and push for Build Back Better. Now, that speech probably doesn't get a lot of traction, but it will be interesting to see how, how many liberals and progressives say, you know, he didn't talk enough about our things, whereas the president might be trying to pivot more toward the middle anyway on issues of the economy and the pandemic. And, and don't forget that Chuck Schumer, uh, the majority leader, said in March we're going to address inflation in the Senate, although we don't know what in what form that's going to be. Of course, he said multiple times this fall that they were going to consider Build Back Better and even gave specific dates. And that didn't happen either. So I don't know how well, much so, you trust I mean, let's the talk, forecasting that, of the majority leader. That could tie leader. into sort of what you were talking about, because one of those those suggestions out there has been what, sort of suspending or decreasing the gasoline tax. That has been um, it's not a new idea that's been. And that was a trial balloon a, that a was lot. floated. And, and you know yeah. who shot it down, by the way, Joe Manchin. Right. Because then you add to the deficit. That's the problem. Right. Because it's a big source. It, it pays for highways mm -hmm. and there would be no way to, to make that. So. So since that seems to be a non-starter, Build Back Better as a whole seems to be a non-starter. What is the starting point then is Democrats move away from the State of the Union and try and implement any of the president's uh, remaining legislative vision here? 
there will be some provisions in the omnibus spending bill that's due by March 11th that will deal with Build Back Better. Uh, there will be some democratic spending priorities on education, the environment, some other things reflected in that. Okay, that's the first place. But here's the other thing, and this is a longer term look as we get to the summertime, maybe next fall. You know, we talked a lot last year and around Christmas time of a budget reconciliation package. This is this special, unique parliamentary vehicle that they use to avoid filibusters, and you can only use it for fiscal related bills. So they created this package, and you only get to do this a couple of times at Congress. The fact that they would let that sit out there in the sun and rot and not use that in some form between now and 11.59 a.m. on January 3rd next year, which is when this Congress ends. That's how long you, you have to use it, which is actually a long time off. It's still just you know late February right now. That would be very surprising. So I suspect that you'll see a little bit of a few nuggets here of Build Back Better in that spending bill in March. And then sometime, depending on what they can figure out that can pass, it's not going to be the progressive uh, caucus or the squad's uh, you know, agenda here, but some elements, they will pass something somewhere down the road in the summer, in the fall, maybe right before that January 3rd deadline that I talked about, just so they can say, look, we got it across the finish line. Let me finish with this, and that's sort of the, the optics of this speech. Uh, all 435 members are invited to attend the State of the Union. That's different than the speech uh, that the president gave uh, at the beginning of his term last year. Um, but there are some pandemic requirements. Masking remains uh, required on the uh, floor of the United States House. I believe that if you attend the speech, you have to present a, a negative uh, COVID test as well. Um are Republicans going to show up or are there boycotts afoot? What are you hearing about sort of how this is all going to look? There are some members who are going to boycott this just because they're going to boycott it. You know, they don't agree with the president. That's not good politics. I don't care to sit and listen to him speak, speak for an hour and a half or whatever they'll say. Then you have other Republicans who will probably protest this by saying, I'm not going because of those pandemic requirements. We as a nation need to get past that. I'm not going to be told what to do to wear a mask. It's pandemic theater, that sort of stuff. And then you're going to have the real pandemic theater. And I've talked to some members who suspect that some Republicans, and you can probably guess who these Republican members might be, uh, who might engage in stunts or try to get kicked out or challenge uh, the sergeant at arms and the security people and the attending physician people that, you know, by, by gum, they should be in the chamber and not have to wear a mask or show a COVID test that's negative. You know, this is kind of like Joe Wilson a few years ago during a joint session of Congress, not State of the Union, by the way, mm -hmm. but President Obama's speech to Congress about Obamacare, where he heckled the president, declared you lie. And nobody remembers much about what President Obama had to say, but they remember what Joe Wilson did. Right. So you have, you know, this is the equivalent of a fan running out on the field in a baseball game. You know, it might have been a real dog of a game, but you remember that fan and did the security guys catch him? And boy, that guy, he ought to run track for Tulane. And, you know, that's sort of, they caught him. Wow, that guy's pretty fast. From the, uh, you know, we, we've all seen those things. And that's what we remember. And so if any of this is on video, and some of this will be performative. It is probably good politics back home among some members to say, look, I got kicked out of the speech. Can you believe that Nancy Pelosi, that mean Nancy Pelosi? That's what they'll say. She kicked me out of the speech. How dare she? And, and that's playing to the base of some of these conservative 
Republicans. There could be some uh, ramped up security. We expect that as well. So we will uh, talk next week, Chad, after we hear from President Biden. Uh, probably uh, we'll, we'll be discussing a uh, process uh, by which the Senate hopes to confirm a Supreme Court nominee as well. So until then, get some rest. Uh, we'll talk next week. Thank you. That will do it for this week's Fox News Rundown from Washington. Next week, we'll have a State of the Union address to dig into. And of course, watch for any potential breakthroughs in the violence in Ukraine. Until then, stay safe, stay healthy, and stay in touch with those you care about. For our entire team here at Fox News Radio, thank you for listening. I'm Jared Halpern from Washington. Listen to the all-new Brett Bear podcast featuring Common Ground, in-depth talks with lawmakers from opposite sides of the aisle, along with all your Brett Bear favorites like his all-star panel and much more. Available now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts.